Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. You guys can have a seat. It is exciting to be out with you guys to be worshiping this evening. If you're new with us, we just want to welcome you here. And I hope that as we go through God's Word this evening that you'll be encouraged by what God has to say for you. And do me a favor. You got a bulletin as you came in the door. And we want to know who you are and how we can help connect with you and how we can get you connected here. And so if you would fill out that Get Connected card that is in the center of that bulletin, and then you'll be able to drop that off in the offering plate up here later in the service or at the end of service. We just want to know who you are, how we can be praying for you, and how we can be helping you connect. Um, we're going to be this evening in gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And so if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to the New Testament. Uh, Luke is the third book in the New Testament as part of the four Gospels. And we know that the Gospels tell us all about Jesus. And I say that because I teach a class on Sunday mornings called Foundations of Faith. And, and I always am encouraged by people who come who don't yet know how to navigate their Bible. Because it allows me to, to help them with that. And so if you're new to your Bible, these first four books in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... They tell us all about Jesus and all about his ministry. And so we're going to be looking in Luke's gospel at an encounter that Jesus has um, with the man. And we, what we see throughout these gospels is men and women having real, authentic encounters with Jesus. And we can learn a lot from these encounters. So go ahead and open up your Bible there. As you do that, you can pull out your outline on the back of your bulletin and you can follow along with us and take notes. And what I want you to do is just think in your mind for a moment about a goal that you have. It could be a goal that you have today or a goal that you had years ago that maybe you've met or something that you've been working towards. I know on Saturdays we always have so many students, middle school and high school. Maybe your goal is just to uh, get a scholarship, graduate with high honors, go to college. Or if you're a college student, your goal could be to, to finish your study in, in something that you're passionate about. It could be professional. It could be to work your way up the corporate ladder and become a CEO, CFO. Some goals are, are health-related, to lower blood pressure without medicine. Or if you're struggling in addiction, sobriety could be your goal. Just write down on your bulletin, what is your, what is your goal as you came in here today? Think about that as we look at this encounter that Jesus has with a man who had a goal. He had a goal in mind, and, and, and that goal for him may not have been important. It may not have seemed important, and yet he had this goal in mind, and so he begins his walk, or rather he begins a climb to get to the goal that he had in mind. Luke records beginning in verse 1, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, if you've grown up in the church, it's, it's likely that you've heard this story. It's a favorite among children. There's even a, a children's song that was written about this man that I think would probably be pretty offensive to him today. If I were, you know, a thousand years, two thousand years down the road, and this song was the one thing that everybody remembered about me, then I would be pretty upset by it. But what Luke, Luke records here for us is this man by the name of Zacchaeus, he had a goal in mind. And that goal was simply to see Jesus. 
Luke doesn't give us the details about why he was so adamant about seeing Jesus, only that it's the thing that he wanted to do. But I think we can guess why. Why he felt the need to climb a tree that day. It's the same reason that the crowd had gathered along the road in, in, in wait for Jesus. It says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now Jericho was the last major city on the way to Jerusalem. And we know that by this time in Jesus' life, once he gets to Jerusalem, that's going to be his final stop throughout his ministry. Because it's in Jerusalem that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten and tortured, he's going to be hung on a cross and executed and put in the ground. So what this tells us is that Jesus is almost at the end of his earthly ministry in this account. His entire ministry of healing the sick and bringing sight to the blind and raising the dead from the grave and forgiving sinners, all of this is behind him. All of the things that the crowd had heard about and Jesus' reputation for doing all these things by this time precedes him wherever he goes. It means that his reputation gets there before he does. And so the crowd gathers in hopes of just laying their eyes on him. Of seeing Jesus or, or being seen by Jesus or, or, or if God blessed them in such a way to be touched by Jesus. Because every single place that Jesus went got better. Everywhere that he went got better. People were, were healed. They were overjoyed. Their, their sins were forgiven. Their loved ones were raised from the dead. This is what the crowd has gathered, eagerly waiting to see. This man who makes everything better wherever he goes. And there's no doubt in my mind that Zacchaeus had heard these rumors. And he knew that perhaps this, perhaps this was his only opportunity to see this Jesus, to see this man whose reputation preceded him. And so he starts walking, or rather climbing, not knowing that this would be the most important climb of his entire life, his most important decision. But what I want us to zone in on, because Luke gives us Three descriptors of Zacchaeus. We focus on one particular descriptor of Zacchaeus, but really Luke gives us three descriptors of Zacchaeus that represent obstacles. They represented obstacles to him meeting his goal of laying his eyes on Jesus. And what they really represent are challenges that you and I, challenges that we encounter when we try to see Jesus. When we want to get our eyes on the Savior of the world, what are the, what are the things that get in our way? See, it seems like a pretty simple goal. Just, just get your eyes on him. Just, just, just look at him. Just put your faith in him. And yet, these are the things that got in Zacchaeus' way, and these are the things that get in our way today. First, Luke says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. We really don't have anything in our culture that is comparable to what it meant to be a tax collector in the first century. Yeah, we, we have the IRS, we have IRS agents that look at our taxes and, and sometimes audit us. That's not really what we're talking about here. A tax collector's entire career, his entire livelihood was derived from extorting money from his own people. Zacchaeus is a Jewish man and his entire job is extorting money from Jewish people in order to pay the government of Rome to continue oppressing Jewish people. 
That's what his job is, to collect money from his people to give back to this government that is being terrible to his people. Zacchaeus is a traitor in the eyes of the Jewish people. And nearly every time you see tax collectors mentioned in the New Testament, they are lumped in with who? They're lumped in with sinners. Jesus has gone to be with the sinners and the tax collectors, right? They're, they're lumped in together. And so really what Luke is telling us is Zacchaeus is a sinner. And not only is he a sinner, it says that he is a chief sinner. Like he has worked his way up the corporate ladder of sinners to attain a management level position over sinners. That is who Zacchaeus is. That is how Luke first introduces us to Zacchaeus. He's a traitor who has worked his way up the line. And he's done that not by having a good work ethic, not by working harder than the other sinners, but by being more crooked than the other sinners. By perhaps taking more and giving more to Rome. And, and so they, they allow him to have some kind of supervisory role within this profession. And so by the standard of the Roman-occupied first-century Jewish nation, he would have been one of the most reviled men around. Nobody liked this man. He was hated by everybody. And this represents our first hindrance in making the walk to see Jesus. That's past sin and feelings of unworthiness. He is a sinner. You are a sinner. You're not worthy to see Jesus. You're not worthy of the good things that he's brought to our town. And so I'm not, I'm not just talking about that, that sin that we had before we met Jesus. What I'm talking about is ongoing sin. Because we know when we come out of the waters of baptism, we're still going to mess up. And that is still going to keep us from wondering if Jesus is for us. And so yes, it's sin in perhaps keeping you from encountering Jesus for the first time, but it's also sin that keeps you from encountering him every single day in your walk with him. So we tend to believe that forgiveness and salvation are for everyone else except for us. That the sin of others can be forgiven, but we've personally done too much. We've gone too far to be accepted by Jesus. And so even if we could get across the room, even if I could stand up and, and walk to him, and perhaps I'm going to get there and, and, and he's going to reject me. There's nothing worse than, than having a, a big goal in mind You've finished four, five, six years of college and you're walking across the stage and they turn you away. And they say, this degree is not for you. I know you worked hard for it, but we're not going to give it to you. Right? Like that would be devastating. And so to get up and go see Jesus and just be turned away because, because I'm a chief sinner, because I'm a, I've broken God's law, I've not lived up to this standard, I can only imagine what Zacchaeus perhaps thought that if he could get his eyes on Jesus, what was it that Jesus was going to say to him? How was he going to respond to him? And so we're hindered by this, this idea of, of our past sin. The second descriptor that Luke gives us is that Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was rich. Tax collectors were allowed to take from the people as much as they wanted as long as they gave to Rome what was required. And so the way that you got rich within this profession was by taking more money from poor people. It was by taking money from people who already didn't have enough taxes to pay the government 
so that you could pad your own pockets and live a wealthy lifestyle in a place that is, that is pretty impoverished. So he's collected his wealth on the backs of his Jewish brothers and sisters. He not only traded his relationship with his own people for money, but he's traded his very relationship with God for money. Money had become Zacchaeus' God. Is what, what he valued in his life, is what he's poured his life into, and he's done it by swindling the people around him, swindling his own brothers and sisters in this nation. Just one chapter earlier, Jesus has an encounter with another rich man, Luke chapter 18. And in this encounter, this, this man walks up to Jesus and he says, what, what is it that I have to do to be saved? And after they exchange words a little bit, finally, Jesus gets to the point. He says, you have to go sell all that you have and give to the poor and then, and then you can come and follow me. And we know the story, the man wasn't able to do that. And then Jesus makes this statement. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus is, is wealthy then. Man, the, the odds are stacking against him. He's a chief sinner. He's given himself over to money. Money has become his God. And so that, that's kind of strike two here. And Jesus says it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. For Zacchaeus, an encounter with Jesus meant that he might have to give up this wealth that he had accumulated for himself. For you and me, that obstacle can be any area of our life that we have elevated above God, and we have those areas in our own life. Things that you're not quite sure you'd be willing to give up if Jesus asked you to. And even the possibility that he will ask you to give them up is enough to keep you from from approaching him to keep you from getting close to him because you're worried that he's going to tell you that you need to do something that, that you don't think is possible for you to do because something else has become your God. Could be money like Zacchaeus, wealth, that you've accumulated over the course of your life, even, even in hard work. Could be a relationship. That if I meet Jesus, he's going to require me to stop being with this person, to stop living with her or, or him outside of marriage to give up this, this lifestyle that's biblically unacceptable. Perhaps it's your own pride. That, that feeling that you've accomplished all of this on your own. You don't need Jesus' help with it. Why would you need him? Where it could simply just be time. It's one of the most valuable commodities that we have. And we, we elevate our time. And so we say, if, if I follow Jesus, do I really need to go to church every weekend? Do I really need to be there every other Wednesday when there's work and sports and sleep and Netflix? There's so much to do. Why should I give up my time for this? So perhaps there's something that's holding you back from the walk simply because you're afraid. You're afraid that once you get to him, he's just going to say, you're going to let go of that, and you got to let go of that, and you got to let go of that, and then I'll, then I'll accept you. Third most famous descriptor that Luke shares is that Zacchaeus was short. This poor guy, this poor guy, of all the stories that we tell about Zacchaeus, that always makes it in there because Luke, for whatever reason, decided to tell us that Zacchaeus was short. And I can relate with this, right? Like, I'm a, there's no secret here. I'm standing on a platform, and most of you are still taller than I am, right? Dave gave me this sermon, and it's not because I'm rich, and it's not because I work for the IRS, right? 
So, so the poor guy is sure. What's the point? Why does, why does Luke tell us this? Because for Zacchaeus, it created this physical limitation that was in his way of getting to see Jesus. He couldn't see around the crowd. Literally, his, his eyesight was below their heads. And so he couldn't get his eyes on Jesus. Now, for a regular guy, this might not have been an issue, but consider how hated he is. The crowd's not going to do anything to help him get through. They're going to push him as far to the back as possible because this Jesus is not for him. He has no business being in front of this group of people. And they're not going to help him get there to get to a good vantage point. And so for you, maybe it's, it's not height, right? It's, it's kind of silly, but it's not height. But we certainly have those circumstantial limitations, those things in our circumstances and around us that keep us from getting to Jesus. You see, it wasn't Zacchaeus' height that was the problem. It was the crowd. It was the, the swarm of people who had gotten together to see Jesus and they were unwilling to let this man through. And like him, the crowd can so often get in our way of seeing Jesus. Spouse who doesn't believe. I can't imagine trying to start a marriage yoked to someone who has no interest in this faith or who is even hostile to this faith. And yet I know that there are people in this room who have done it. And, and, and you've, you've seen how difficult that is to be yoked with someone who doesn't believe. Or it could be people who are raised in another faith. You, you take someone who is raised in the Muslim faith and they say, I'm going to follow Christ. And, and what comes from their family is hatred and, and anger at their decision. Even our brothers and sisters in, in, in the Catholic faith when, faith, when they say that they want to have a relationship with Jesus through the Christian church, they, they, they face opposition from their families. In reality, it doesn't have to be your family or another faith that's the hindrance. The world, our culture, our society has rejected God. And they are not going to celebrate with you when you choose to give your life to him. The world is not going to be excited for this in your life. You may be excited. Your family, my family was excited when I was baptized, but the world at large is not going to be excited for you because you've declared that you're now one of those Christians, one of those people who, who follows this, this God who is against living life in your own way. That's how the world sees it. And so the crowd gets in our way of seeing who Jesus is. They don't want us to experience this. The point is that we all have barriers that keep us from taking this walk, from climbing the tree, from getting to Jesus. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus didn't let these barriers stop him because in, in spite of his title and in spite of his wealth and in spite of his height, he still climbed the tree. Verse 5 says, When Jesus approached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus. And, and I love that Jesus calls him by name. We, we don't know how Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name, but, but he calls him by name. And I, and I wonder, at first I thought, Zacchaeus must be super excited by this. That this man who he's been waiting to see is passing through, and he looks up and he calls him by name. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be overjoyed if Jesus said your name? But then I thought a little more about it, and, and I wondered if perhaps there was just that split second 
where Zacchaeus' heart began to pound because he didn't know the next words that were going to come out of Jesus' mouth. Zacchaeus, you've wasted your time. The kingdom of God doesn't belong to rich, tiny sinners like you. You've rejected God and now I've rejected you. You might as well just go back to your miserable life. Like maybe that's what Zacchaeus thought he was going to say. That's not the fear that we have, that you and I have, that once we get across the room to where Jesus is, that he'll turn us away and we'll be rejected. But those weren't the words that Jesus said to Zacchaeus and they aren't the words that he says to you and me. Jesus has an answer for every obstacle, every single obstacle that you face in getting to him. And as I thought about Luke's description of Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector, my mind went to Paul's words to young Timothy. Because it's the answer to the obstacle of our past and present sin and this feeling of unworthiness, this feeling that salvation is for everybody else except for me. He answers it this way. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Twice in that passage, Paul says, I, I'm the chief sinner. I'm, I'm the one who doesn't deserve this. I'm the one who's gone too far. I'm the worst of the worst. But listen to what he says. If Jesus is willing to show me the worst of sinners, patience and salvation, then let that be an example to you who think that the chief of sinners, because you've gone too far, because you've done too much, because you've rejected God too many times, Jesus' immense patience is the answer to your sin and your backsliding. That if Paul can say, I'm the worst sinner, and yet Jesus has accepted me, then I can say, I am the worst sinner, and yet Jesus has accepted me. He's answered that question for us. What does Jesus do with my sin? He forgives it. He accepts me. To the issues of Zacchaeus' wealth and those things that we've elevated above God, we look back at Luke 18, and we look at that a moment ago, from the context of this rich ruler who had come and he was unwilling to sell his wealth. And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And his disciples asked him, who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is the answer that Jesus gives to this issue. You're thinking that if you meet Jesus and he calls you to let go of of whatever you fill in the blank with, your wealth, your possessions, your relationships, your lifestyle, that there's no possible way you would be able to do that. And so it stops me from even walking to him because I wonder if I get there and he calls me to give this up and I can't give this up, then what's going to happen next? Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus' answer is that by his Holy Spirit, God steps in and he begins working in you so that you are able to line your life up with what he wants. In a moment, we're going to look at how that works for Zacchaeus, but I just want you to think about that for a moment. That we all have those things that we've elevated above God in our life. 
And what Jesus does is he, he steps into our life and he helps us to see that he is more valuable than those things. And that's what allows us to begin letting them go. For that third issue, we can look to Zacchaeus' own story to see how Jesus answers the, the obstacle of those external circumstantial limitations that are outside of us that get in our way. Back in verse 5, Jesus continues when he calls Zacchaeus by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner, the guest of a tax collector. The crowd wouldn't let up. They were, they were indignant. They didn't get this. They couldn't see the goodness of Jesus through the lens of Zacchaeus' past. But this is what I find extremely interesting about this account. Not once does Jesus appear to address the crowd, at least not directly. His focus is on Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus' focus is on Jesus. It doesn't matter what they think. To Zacchaeus, the only thing that matters is that he had literally met his goal. He had met Jesus. And the Savior of the world has offered to come to his home, and it changes everything for him. That Jesus focusing in on him and him getting his eyes on Jesus changes his entire world. In fact, all it takes is one encounter with Jesus to change everything. That's why the crowd doesn't matter. It's why the opinions and beliefs of your family don't matter. Why the cultural and societal perception of Christians doesn't matter. All that matters is coming face to face with this Jesus. Zacchaeus' climb got him there, and now look at his response in verse 8. Zacchaeus stands up. I think it's funny that Zacchaeus stood up. I think when he came out of the tree, he maybe hit the ground pretty hard. And so it says, Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's a son of faith. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now if you contrast Zacchaeus' response with the rich ruler just one chapter earlier, Jesus had told that man that he needed to sell everything and give it to the poor in order to follow him. And yet we don't see the same requirement laid on Zacchaeus that Jesus laid on that man. You could perhaps argue that after Zacchaeus fulfills his commitment, he gives half of all he has to the poor and he repays, he repays everybody that he's wronged four times the amount that he's not going to have a whole lot left. But it appears that Jesus has a different standard for Zacchaeus than he did for this other guy. But the reality is that the standard isn't different. It didn't change from Luke 18 to Luke 19. It doesn't change from the rich ruler to this wealthy tax collector. Jesus has always required the same thing of anybody that comes to him. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. The rich ruler in chapter 18 hadn't given his heart to Jesus. He kept it with his wealth, and Jesus wasn't going to share his heart. 
But Zacchaeus demonstrated that wealth was no longer what mattered to him because his heart belonged to Jesus and that is all he has ever asked of us. And that may mean that we have to give up things that we've elevated above him and our lives as Christians represent a daily laying down of those things. Every Christian, every day must lay down these things that we try to give our heart to. But when we meet our goal, when we meet Jesus and he truly has our heart, all of those things that we valued, all of those goals that we thought were important, they pale in comparison to having the full and undivided attention of the Savior of the world. That's the point. That when we give Jesus our heart, we see him to be infinitely more valuable than everything else that we've ever given our heart to. Now I want us to understand that salvation did not enter Zacchaeus' home because he was willing to sell his possessions and repay back what he had taken from people. Look at the order. Because Jesus offered to go to Zacchaeus' home before Zacchaeus promised to do those things. And so his willingness to give away half his possessions and repay all of these people that he'd taken from was in response to Jesus' invitation. It was in response to Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your home today. I want, I want you to, to host me in your house. And so the final question that we ask ourselves is, am I willing? Like Zacchaeus, am I willing to accept this invitation to host Jesus in my home and to allow him to work in my life, to work in my marriage, to work in my career, my priorities, my singleness, my, my everything? Am I prepared to host him to work in all of these things? And all it takes is a willingness to get up and walk to him. To climb a tree for this vantage point that allows you, that allows me to lay our eyes on Jesus. A desire to give in your heart and see him begin to make changes across the board in your life. To let go of these obstacles and these hindrances that have been standing in your way of getting to him. Whether you've never been a Christian or whether you've been a Christian for 40, 50 years and you're still struggling to get your eyes on Jesus. That's what we're talking about. See, Zacchaeus experienced in real life something that Jesus says in John's gospel. One of the clearest and greatest reasons for us beginning this walk in John 6.37 Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That is a promise given by Jesus to all of us who come to him. The old King James Version says that Jesus will in no wise cast out. It means that for the one who seeks to set his eyes upon Jesus, there is absolutely nothing that will cause him to turn his heart away from you, not your sin, not the things that you've put before him yesterday and you've tried to lay down once again, and certainly not the crowd is going to get in the way. Dane Ortland writes, with Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Jesus told Zacchaeus he had come to seek and save whom? The lost. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Nothing but coming to him is required, first at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. 
You see, walking across the room to see Jesus doesn't just happen when we first accept this invitation and are baptized. That does have to be first. And if you've not started your walk to see him, then you need to respond to the invitation that he's given to come into your home. You need to get your eyes on him and let him change everything for you. But for those of us who have done so, we've learned that every single day, every single day is a new opportunity for us to lay our eyes on Jesus in spite of all the things that have tried to hold us back. In spite of past and present sin that tell us that we're no longer worthy of his love, and the backsliding that that continues to get in our way of relationship with him, in spite of the things that we've allowed to creep back onto the throne of our hearts and we've removed him from that and he continues to say, put me back on the throne of your heart. In spite of the people around us who can't believe that we would give our lives to this Savior because they themselves haven't laid their eyes on him and they don't know of Christ's infinite worth. The call is to lay your eyes on Jesus. I love the story of a man who was Christian for most of his entire life. And and one of the ways that he laid his eyes on Jesus was that he always kept an empty chair in his bedroom. And so when he had his morning time of devotion, that would be his focal point. It was his way of just visualizing this back and forth with his Savior. It was just in that empty chair. The chair represented nothing except for his relationship with Christ and the opportunity that he had every single day to talk to Jesus. His, His daughter wasn't aware of this. And so he was on his deathbed in the hospital and there was a chair beside his bed and she walked into his room. He was in his final stages of life and he's just talking to this chair and she thought that he was out of his mind. But she says, no, I've been doing this. I've been doing this for decades. This is how I talk to Jesus. This is how I talk to my Savior. And so she didn't think much of it and she had left to take a break and when she come back, he had passed away. And she looks over and he was just kind of reached over with his hand in that chair because he had spent his entire life with his eyes fixed on Jesus. That chair for him represented the Savior who gave him his undivided attention. And he gave his Savior his undivided attention. Lay your eyes on Jesus every single day. Make it your goal, just like Zacchaeus, that every moment of your life, that every circumstance that you face, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. It's only in truly seeing him that you can understand the depth of his heart for you and the reality that he has promised to you that he will accept all those who come to him. Bring him into your every moment and watch what he does in your life in your marriage, in your relationships, in your singleness, in your career, in your priorities, and in your everything. Watch what he does when you lay your eyes on him. The song that we're going to sing is a reminder of what Christ has done to prove that he'll never cast out any who come to him. And as we stand up and as we sing it, I want you to fix your eyes on the Savior. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you don't yet know him, then this is your invitation to come and accept the invitation. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this great promise that's been given through your word. 
that all those who come to Jesus will never be cast away. Lord, it's so direct. There's no no exemptions, Lord. That when we seek to fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus is going to honor that by giving us his full attention, by forgiving us of our past sin and even our present sin, even those things that that we've continued to to consume us. He's going to love us in spite of those moments that we've put something else on the throne of our hearts and Lord, help us lay those things down so that we can live life and and live it to the full. He's certainly going to give us his full attention in spite of what the people around us say. But it's by our faithfulness and by our love for one another, by our love for Christ, that we will see others respond to this invitation. And Lord, that's my prayer. That's my heart for those who haven't yet said yes, who don't yet know what it means to value Jesus above everything else. Lord, draw them to yourself. Awaken their hearts to the reality of what you've done and what you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.